This is Garth from the Lost Cabin in rural Massachusetts. What better way to start Spooky October than with a tale about some phantoms in Gloucester whose origins we're not really sure of, but we'll try and find out. Welcome back and thanks for listening. Uh, I've been getting some great comments about the content and people really like the postcards and there are more varieties of postcards on the way. And also a postcard which will in more detail explain what this project is all about for those of you who uh, might be a little mystified. But mystery is kind of part of it. Today we'll be discussing one of the most lost of lost Massachusetts places. Not only do we know nothing about the place uh, a certain people came from, we're not even sure the people in question even existed. The basics of this ghost story are as follows. In the summer of 1692, Gloucester was the subject of a series of bizarre attacks for days. People in the town were harassed and shot at by mysterious men, vaguely described as French and Indians. The attackers would appear and vanish. They would make loud noises and then run away. People in Gloucester would shoot at these strangers, but no bodies were ever recovered. And sometimes shot men would get up and run away. The specters also seemed to spend quite a bit of time taunting the soldiers defending Gloucester. There are several versions of this tale that uh, paint it as a real-life ghost story. The contemporaries involved generally ascribe the activity to the devil, very readily assigning blame to evil spirits. So our task is hard, not only attempting to locate a lost place, but determine if the people from a supposed place even exist. So... Looking at the various versions of the story, I want you to first listen to a passage from the history of the town and city of Gloucester, Cape Ann, Massachusetts, written by James Pringle in 1892, some 200 years after the incident took place. Sit back and take a listen. The witchcraft delusion of 1692 extended to Gloucester, but happily, none of the accused were put to death. In the summer of that year, its symptoms became manifest when Ebenezer Babson and his family reported that strange noises, as of persons running about his house, were heard almost every night. Babson, on returning at a late hour, also saw two strange men come out of his house and disappear in his cornfield. He stated that he could hear them converse, and then one said, The man of the house has come now, else we would have taken the house. The entire family, becoming alarmed, retired to the garrison, to which place they were followed by two men. On another day, Babson, who seems to have experienced a monopoly of these occurrences in the town, saw strangers who appeared like Frenchmen, and at another time, 
the number was increased to six. A party went in pursuit. Babson overtook two and tried to fire at them, but strange to relate, his gun persistently misfired. A short time afterwards, he saw three men, one wearing a white waistcoat. This time, his rifle proved trusty. All fell beneath his unerring aim, but on his approaching, the dead or wounded men arose and ran away, one discharging a gun as he went. At length, one of these spectral marauders was surrounded so that escape was impossible. He was shot by Babson, but this time, when Babson approached to take possession of the body, it mysteriously disappeared. For quite a time afterwards, a company, supposed to be French and Indians, prowled about the garrison and held loud conversations in a swamp nearby. Babson, on his way to the harbor to carry the news, was fired upon. The people became greatly excited and appealed to the outside towns for help. Ipswich responded with 60 men to assist in putting these strange intruders to flight. The excitement soon abated, Babson seeming the only person to whom these extraordinary manifestations were revealed. Six women of the town were imprisoned on the grounds of being witches. Abigail Soames was one of the first accused and was confined in Boston, nearly seven months being released January 3, 1693, without trial. Anne Dolliver, wife of William Dolliver, and four other females were accused of witchcraft, but fortunately returning reason of the people prevented their execution. The Reverend John Emerson, a clergyman of the town, wrote concerning these occurrences and in defense of his parishioners, All rational persons will be satisfied that Gloucester was not harmed for a fortnight altogether by real Frenchmen and Indians, but that the devil and his angels were the cause of all that befell the town. Let's talk about the devil. In the 17th century, the devil was a very real presence in people's lives. I'll mention this in future episodes because it's an important point if you want to put yourself in the perspective of somebody who lived 300, 400 years ago. The devil lurked behind every tree, at every crossroads, and in every corner. It was your job to be on guard against the devil. And this was the same year as the Salem Witch Trial, 1692, and many people involved in the Gloucester story were also part of those events. Anything outside of people's control, anything that happened that was surprising, dangerous, scary, unexpected, was usually be considered to be under the control of evil forces. Boston Reverend Cotton Mather was the era's most prominent expert on the devil and he had a lot to say about events that happened in Salem and elsewhere. 
on investigating the incident and speaking to people involved, Mather's conclusion was that these were entities from afar. They came from the strange, invisible world. That's not much for us to go on in terms of determining their origin. So we're going to have to look at every element of this story, including the description of the supposed specters and the people who reported them. So who was Ebenezer Babson? He was a bit of a character, and he almost proves to be somewhat of a... um, a comic book type figure when we look more at his biography. The history of Gloucester text seems to state that he was the only one who bore any witness to the uh, various specters, the, the leaguers as they were called. Other tellings, other versions of the story seem to dispute that. There were plenty of other people who saw it. He seems to be one of the principal and earliest people involved. Uh, When you hear the name Ebenezer, you might imagine an old person like Ebenezer Scrooge, but Ebenezer Babson was 25 years old at the time. And even though he seems to be insisting, at least in this version, that these appeared to be real people, although maybe spectral in nature, he was pretty certain that they were real people that could be shot at, it could be captured. However, it's recorded in other texts that concern the Salem witch trials that Ebenezer Babson brought some of the girls from Salem who were being afflicted by witchcraft, and he brought them to meet his mother in Gloucester because he was claiming that his mother was being afflicted by these supposed spectral demons outside of Gloucester that were harassing everybody. So this is interesting. In one version of the text, we see that it's only Ebenezer who is seeing and confronting the spectral leaguers. But then we actually have him uh, entrusting to these uh, the, the young accusers from Salem as, Salem as if they are psychics who can help him somehow determine why his mother is being tormented by these people or specters. So there's a bit of a conflicting uh, point here. So apparently his mother was involved somehow, at least tangentially. The other interesting item about Ebenezer Babson has to do with a very well-known landmark in Rockport. Anybody who's visited Rockport, and I've talked about this place before, is familiar with Bearskin Neck. And the reason why Bearskin Neck has that name is supposedly Ebenezer saw his nephew being attacked by a bear. So Ebenezer dove into the water with just a fishing knife And he wrestled and killed the bear himself. And then he dragged the bear out of the water and he skinned the bear and left the bear skin out on the bear rock to dry. 
This is actually depicted over a uh, sort of landmark building on the um, on on the uh, bearskin neck. There is the pewter shop, which has a big sign, a big painted sign, with an illustration of Babson confronting the bear and a very quick explanation of what happened. Uh, it says, he immediately attacked the bear to get his attention away from the child, but having no gun, he permitted the bear to follow him into the water. There, after a terrific struggle, Ebenezer killed the bear with a fish knife. He then brought the bear onto the shore, skinned him, and spread the skin out on the rocks to dry. So this is apparently the origin of the name of Bearskin Neck. However, this runs afoul of, in terms of timeline, with something else that you can find on Bearskin Neck, which is an actual sign at the entrance of Bearskin Neck that explains that a bearskin washed up, got caught and washed up on the shores in 1700. So this event allegedly happened earlier with Ebenezer Babson. It happened earlier than 1700. And the reason why it had to have happened earlier was because of another curious uh, part of his biography. According to some sources, Ebenezer Babson met his fate in a shipwreck in Indonesia three years later. So, if you believe one version of the story, and the bearskin uh, was taken by Babson, it apparently was taken after he was dead. It's also kind of curious that in one year, in 1692, Babson was chasing ghosts around Gloucester. And then just three years later, this farmer and bear killer somehow ended up on a ship on the other side of the planet and drowned. So there's some very curious aspects to this man's life and his involvement in all these curious incidents in the area. Call some things into question. It's also important to note that because he was a farmer, he probably did not come from a part of Gloucester that we're all familiar with. He might have come from the other side near Anasquam and uh, a farming area over there. So when we talk about him approaching the garrison, the garrison also might not have been in the location we think of traditionally as Gloucester, as the, the southern and eastern portion of Cape Ann. This all seems to have happened in another area. And we're going to have to keep digging into this to understand the character of some of the people involved. It's possible to take Ebenezer Babson out of the narrative. He seems to have been the person who begins this story, the first person who uh, notices what's going on. But there are other players who provide their own accounts later. A few of those people are named John Brown and William Dolliver, and also the captain of the guard. And later the actual Ipswich uh, militia that comes to reinforce the town after all these strange things keep happening. 
Now let's focus on the descriptions provided about the spectral leaguers or the Gloucester leaguers. Specifically, let's think about that term, leaguers. When we think of the word league, we think about the National Football League, League of Women Voters, League of Nations, the League of Justice. Uh, and this generally refers to some sort of organization. A league is a collection of people who set about a particular task. It seems to be kind of a meaningless term if it's not attached to something specific to call these people the Gloucester Leaguers doesn't really make any sense because nobody recognized them, so they're not from Gloucester. Calling them Spectral Leaguers eh, is kind of strange, too. I would be more of the mind to use a more archaic definition of the word league. And a league is an archaic measurement of uh, space. Okay, think about 20,000 leagues under the sea. It's about distance. And in reference to somebody who was a leaguer, it's entirely possible that they believed that whoever these people were, they were from very far away. They didn't know them. They seemed to be strangers. And they assumed that they had come some far distance, hence calling them leaguers. Now, this also seems to go hand in hand with their description as Frenchmen and Indians. And I think that this particular description plays a, an important role in understanding who the supposed specters might have been. Now, far being from actual ghosts, there is the evidence of them firing at Babson and a bullet being lodged in a tree. And he actually pulled this out. Now, of course, obviously, this could have been faked if he was the only witness. Um, and the bullet could have been some, from something else. Who really knows? But that is one piece of evidence. We also have the testimony of other people who were involved. So the garrison, uh, which was probably a small number of protectors in the area, they called for reinforcements. And 60 men came from Ipswich to back them up. And according to documents, they also had a confrontation with these strange specters outside of the blockhouse night after night. And there was an incident that occurred which uh, does further go into the supernatural. And it's also the exact same story, the exact same accounting that occurs in another uh, related witch story on Cape Ann that we'll be talking about when we visit Dogtown again. Essentially, because they were presumably dealing with spectral leaguers who were harassing them, who couldn't be shot, one of the captains of the guard took a silver button and put that into his musket and fired at the, uh, at the leaguers. And this made the ghostly party vanish. Of course, silver is something that has always been rumored to be a useful weapon against evil. I'm sure many people who watch horror movies are familiar with the concept of the silver bullet used against werewolves or some other demon. Silver is a kind of protector against evil beings. 
But whether or not that particular aspect actually happened, we do seem to have a number of people who were aware of these ongoings. And one of the things they described was chasing these uh, attackers, specters, back into the swamps where they would disappear and they had trouble finding any traces of them, including they couldn't find uh, footprints in the swamps and whatnot. So whoever they were, they were really good at hiding themselves and making themselves disappear. Yet they still seem to be described as wearing French-type clothing or being Indians or carrying French-type weapons. And this is all important in determining who they were and where they came from later. The events in the summer of 1692 in Gloucester have to be put into the context of larger events. It was called King William's War in the colonies, but it was actually a global conflict between France and pretty much everybody else. Lasted from 1688 to 1697. So, France and England had been at war with each other at least 27 times since the 13th century. And the origins of this particular conflict are incredibly complex, involve trade rights, succession of monarchs, a possible return of a Catholic king to England, and a number of other things. All of these events swept up New England and New France as the two extensions of England and France in North America. The battleground for several years was between present-day Maine and Nova Scotia. The English had many more settlers than the French did. The French were more interested in trade and less so in settlement. And in order to maintain a power balance, the French made lots of alliances with Abenaki and Algonquin tribes to enhance their armies. This is kind of the context of the time period. And after the next commercial segment, I'll give you my theory as to who the spectral leaguers really were. Starting in 1688, the French and their Wabanaki Confederacy allies engaged in a regular campaign against the New England territories. They raided and destroyed English villages in various places all throughout Maine and even into New Hampshire. They would usually burn the villages, they would kill a number of the inhabitants, and they would take prisoners. The British would usually respond by sending ships from Boston to raid Nova Scotia and sending troops into Maine to burn the Abenaki and Algonquin villages. The French didn't really have that many settlements in these areas, so they had to settle for attacking the allies of the French. And even though the English were usually fairly successful, in repressing the French in Nova Scotia 
and taking out reprisal attacks in Maine, the French and their allies continued to push further and further south. They would attack settlements, English settlements, along the Maine coast. And each year, until 1692, they seemed to be getting closer and closer to the Massachusetts area. In 1692 in particular, the French and their allies raided and destroyed what is now the city of York, Maine. And this leads to an interesting set of circumstances that lead through the summer of 1692 and the time of the Spectral Leaguers in Gloucester. The following is a reading from the biography of one of the officers who was instrumental in pushing the French back uh, throughout New England, and his name was Major Church. Sir William Phipps, Knight, Captain General and Governor-in-Chief of the Massachusetts Bay in New England, to Benjamin Church. Reposing special trust and confidence in your loyalty, courage, and good conduct, I do by these presents constitute and appoint you to be a major of the several companies of militia detached for their majesty's service against their French and Indian enemies. You are therefore authorized and required in their majesty's names to discharge the duty of a major by leading, ordering, and exercising the said several companies in arms, both inferior officers and soldiers, keeping them in good order and discipline, commanding them to obey you as in their major, and diligently to intend the said service for the prosecuting, pursuing, killing, and destroying of the said common enemy, and yourself to observe and follow such orders and directions as you shall from time to time receive from myself accordingly to the rules and discipline of war pursuant to the trust reposed in you for their majesty's service given under my hand and seal at Boston the 25th day of July 1692 in the fourth year of the reign of our sovereign lord and lady William and Mary by the grace of God, King and Queen of England, Scotland, France, and Ireland, Defender of the Faith. Signed, William Phipps, His Excellency's Command. So that was a letter from the Governor of Massachusetts promoting and ordering church to begin attacking their enemies up and down the coast of New England in the same summer that uh, they saw the phantom specter leaguers in Gloucester. What follows in his biography is a pretty comprehensive telling of all the different battles and uh, occurrences that happened afterwards that ended up resulting in the French being pushed back. And eventually the French would lose the, uh, the conflict in Europe as well. So I hate to throw cold water on a ghost story. It's still a fun story. But 
as I look more and more at the details of this, my estimation is that they weren't phantom Frenchmen and Indians. They were real Frenchmen and Indians, probably a scouting party that was continuing to further attacks further south. Their biggest strategic problem was that Boston was protected and Boston was the source of all the reprisals that attacked Nova Scotia and the other settlements in Maine. If they could somehow get control of Gloucester, they might be able to observe pending attacks or they might be able even to move further south to take Boston itself. So rather than being spirits, these were people who were part of a forward mission who had to retreat as a much larger attack occurred on the rest of uh, Upper New England and Lower Canada. This is Garth from The Lost Cabin. We hope you enjoyed that unraveling of Gloucester's Spectre Leaguers. And we hope that you'll join us next time for a return to Dogtown and some of Dogtown's scarier tales and times. Until then, remember, it's always 1928 somewhere. Hey, if you like the show for some reason, there are lots of ways you can join the fun or get a hold of us. You can message Lost Mass through the podcast apps on Anchor. There's a voice option. Or you can go to lostmassachusetts.com and subscribe to our blog or use the various methods there to contact us. If you go to lostmassachusetts.com, you can also sign up to get a postcard from a lost place and find out where to send us a lost postcard too. Also go to Lost Massachusetts at uh, Instagram for photos and other details. We will do our best to respond to comments uh, directly uh, as well as within the show. You might hear um, your own comment. That's fun. <laughs>